This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. The Hate You Give is a gripping new movie about a black teenage girl who watches her friend die after a police officer shoots and kills him during a routine traffic stop. It's an awesome movie based on a wildly popular young adult novel that dives into how some black teenagers are forced to grow up more quickly, how family shapes who you are, and the challenge of dealing with a world shaped by gangs, especially when you're off in private school. I love this movie. I recommend it highly, especially for people who have kids that are like seventh grade and up. You can go as a family and really enjoy it and get a lot from it. I love the movie so much I had to sit down with the director, George Tillman Jr., and the star, Regina Hall. It's The Hate You Give on Toray Show. really good black movie get made in Hollywood, which does not usually happen. Well, in this case, the book was number one for a long time. Like, it still is, you know, 80 weeks. But um, we were working on the script, and it just helped that it debuted at number one. That's all we needed. You know, you need an IP. You need some entrance, especially, you know, especially with a book that dealing with the motion, the kind of motion that we have. But that was very helpful. And then, you know, once Regina came on board, and um, it just, it was a... Things just started moving for us. Was Regina attached before you had the green light? No, it was right after. When you say there, Regina, about the... Yeah. I mean, I know George had talked to me about it before, and he was there doing what he needed to do to get the studio to say yes. Um, And then pretty, you know, once things were in motion. But even before it started, I'm going to just say George had such a vision and a commitment to the integrity of the book. You know, and, like, I just commend him for being a director who really wanted to tell that story, you know, and keep it, keep it, I don't, you know, it's like I'm trying to find the right word, but keep it black, meaning not sacrifice what the black family looks like, sounds like, like, really keep it, you know, honest and real. It is honest and real, and one of the things that I get out of this is the aging of black children, Right, especially black teenagers, because what they have to deal with is so serious and so heavy. Even before the action of the picture, they're dealing with incarceration and gangs. The white children are dealing with none of these things, Mm -hmm. right? And so they get to be children far longer than the black children do, and it really affects who you are uh, as a person. 
Yeah, it really, it really do. I, I really felt, that's one of the things I felt like in the book is like Star, you know, what we worked on with Amanda in the movie is behavior, uh, the way she behaves in two worlds, navigating. She walks a little different. She looks around a little bit more when she's in Garden Heights and everything's a little bit more still in, um, you know, in the Williamson White world. And the voice control, all that was that cold switching. Yeah, I feel switching. like cold switching has a lot to do inside your own neighborhood sometimes. So, you know, and that's how the book started. She says at the party, I don't know if it's enough to be myself at a black party. And I just like, that was very interesting. But I just felt like a lot of young kids, especially in inner city, they seem to grow up fast. They seem to know. They're almost like, some of them are not even considered kids. It's almost they're like parental in the same, in a sense, in how they navigate in their community. And those are the things that we wanted to capture in the movie. Yeah, I mean, the notion that we have to be, we are aged up by the society and the environment we're around and we don't get to be children and we sort of get to scarred, right, you know, where they get to maintain this innocence for so long. Yeah, we see, I mean, like, we see it right away. Like, one of the things that we've been, we talked about was, like, after the shooting, there's no immediate healing. She had to go to school, right, the next day, you know what I mean, right? What, actually, it was the funeral, you know, it was the, yeah. the wake, but sure. not, you know, at the family members. Every time someone... She didn't even want to go there. She didn't even like, want to... get your clothes on, you know, we got to go to this We got to do it, yeah. you know, so, the, you know, it's no time for healing or... Push through. Yep. Let's go back a second, George. Why did you start on this piece versus any other? Well, you know what, I'm, all, I'm always, like... Um, I usually take a little time between directing because I produce a little bit, and sometimes I'm always overanalyze. You know, should this be the right move? Lately, over the last five years, I'm like, it ain't no right moves. Just go where your instinct is. Keep moving. Keep pushing. So for me, I just felt like this book came to me immediately, and I was like, I just got to jump on it before somebody else did. There was a lot of other people trying to gather, you know, the material and sell it themselves. Every studio sort of wanted it. Um, but I just jumped on it immediately. I just felt like it was speaking to a truth where you could just be instinctive to yourself. It's one of the first times I was just being instinctive and letting my uh, history and letting my um, years as a parent, you know, just kind of just dive into the material. You know, sometimes you do those kind of projects, you know, you don't make any money on it. You know, everybody's doing it because they love the material. It's not like we're doing a big comedy or we're doing an action movie and stuff, you know what I mean? So. Is the love, and sometimes you do stuff for love, really good things happen sometimes, you know? So how does it come to you, Regina? Does does your friend George call you? Does your agent say there's the script going around? Like, how does it start for you? Um, I think, the, I think I, I, George and I, um, we had met, but we officially, like, well, we met, met on yeah. uh, Barbershop, the third one. He was still, you know, executive producer and um or producer mm -hmm. not, uh, producer he still was a producer and so and it was still you know from his company you know his partner Bob Title so when it was after that after we worked on that he said I'm there's something I'm going to be working on it was about a year and a half before mm -hmm. but he told me very early and I didn't know if it was going to happen not because not because it's like anything about George but just that's just oh, what yeah. happens right so um and then later I think you know my agent told me and then uh, the book was out at that point. Yeah, so I yeah. read the book, and then, um, you know, George and Bob were, you know, and I had read this, they sent the script, and they were saying, we would love you for this, and, um, you know, but they have to do what they have to do to convince the other yeah. parties, and then that worked. <laughs> yeah, we actually, I remember, too, before that, too, because we, we, it was on a, it was at the premiere of Best Man, too. Oh, that's where 
yeah, was. Yeah. That's I, a West. I was at the premiere, Best Man too, yeah, at the Roosevelt holiday. Hotel. Uh-huh. And Brian Dobbs, who's her manager, who's a friend of mine, and I was like, "Can you just me? We already met previously. Yeah. I said, "Can you just take me right up to her?" And I went up to her, and there was a lot of people around. I said, you know, you're the dopest in this game. You can do everything. You can do comedy. You can do drama. Do you're the dopest that. working right now. And she just looked at me and was like, <laughs> I was like, and that was just that little bit. And then on Barbershop 3, I waited. You know, I, I, heard, I heard about this book coming. So Barbershop 3, I actually approached her again at yeah. the premiere. I said, I got this book I want you to read. And then you gave me, you said, give it to my assistant. And I oh, gave the book to her assistant, but the assistant never gave her the book. Oh. He actually oh. called me to have a meeting by myself about another project. <laughs> I know, and I didn't know. I, was like, what are you doing? I had no idea. My former assistant. Yeah, right. I was going to say, did he get fired? Because he's supposed to. Not, I know. It's not a gift for you. I yeah. know, I didn't. That's exactly, exactly how it happened. George's, and look, I don't even get high. That, and George remembered all of you. But um, now I actually do remember. Yeah, because I, but, but I was a fan of George, and I had auditioned for him before, and we, you know, hadn't gotten it, but I was a big fan of his, you know what I mean, as a filmmaker. Because I, you know, I mean, I was going to watch the movies that he did, that he either directed or produced, and they were, you know, like a part of me and my friends, you know, like Soul Food, like that was a big part of. Huge. It was, it was a huge movie, and yeah. Barbershop was huge. So it was, you know, he had, he had, and I actually liked, I, well, I liked, I auditioned for Men of Honor, which I didn't get, but um, there had been. Um, Are you bitter? Um, <laughs> just slightly. Um, <laughs> um, but I was a big fan of him as a filmmaker. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing about this picture that's really interesting is the story is a little. Uh, messy in a specific way in that uh, Khalil is not a perfect victim. He's a drug dealer. When he gets stopped by the police, he's not doing the yes sir, no sir thing. He's kind of talking back. When he reaches into the car, I'm going, ah, don't do that, right? And he, and he's just, he seems like somebody who never got the talk and is like, you know, F a cop, I don't really care. What you gonna do to me? So, you know, it's not, it's not the perfect victim thing, right? And we have to be perfect victims to get the full sympathy. But why did you want to leave it sort of imperfect like that? Because that's what I felt what life is really about, you know. In that moment, there's a lot of layers, you know. Like Star had a mom and a father present, and she got to talk several times, enough where they knew the the 10-step program of the Black Panthers. You know, Khalil, you know, he only had a single parent. His mom was hooked on drugs. And specifically a father. Yeah, specifically. That's why why Maverick being so big was important. I don't even know if a mother would give that talk. Yeah. You don't think your character would have given the talk? Maybe not that young. Not in the way that that it would resonate with the power of a man to man. You know what I mean? Like, I can't be a man. Like, even if I talk to him, like, I don't know. Is it going to be the same as if George, you know what I mean? He yeah. has a son and a wife, but I, I don't know. There's something about a father's presence yeah. in teaching you about life. Yeah. I mean, I definitely feel it in that, it's that opening scene where he's giving them the talk. Yeah. And you, Regina, as the mom, are kind of like, he's up. And he's like, no, like, we need to have this. Yeah. So, like, the mom is not really... Mom is nurturing, and you know, every uh, her children are still precious, and there's a preciousness that you want to continue to have. Like, baby, yeah, like, let's, like, you know, they're five. Are they even able to comprehend? Do you have to do it now? You know, mm. but maybe a father understands, you know, maybe by the time he's 10 or 12, he needs to understand this, not just hear it, but it needs to. It needs to be a part of how he thinks, or they think, and how they move. And, you know, for a mother, 
You know, she's just like, it's not less than, but they're, you know, it's to infuse love. I mean, I think that's why having both parents present is so necessary. I mean, so much of this family is the strong father in Russell Hornsby and just the way that he plays. And he's got his own demons, right? Mm -hmm. he's, he's been to prison, mm -hmm. right? He's got one foot in the street, even though he's trying to go straight now. Mm -hmm. But his strength is so important to this family, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, that's a very important thing because um, I just felt like the relate. I love many aspects of that character. And a lot of that has to do with the family aspect, you know, the, the relationship. The sexuality. I remember I, early on, there was a little note. The studio was like, they talk about sex all the time. <laughs> I was just like, that was good, you know? I love that. And they, and they and the studio end up, when they see it, you know, they love it. You know, when, and the, when it's just pages and writing dialogue, they don't get it. But when you act it out, be like, wow, this is a loving family, loving relationships. They're very sexual. They talk about it in front of the kids mm -hmm. at the diner. Um, but you feel like there's there's a love there and there's a strength there. Um, but what I love the most is that I, I wrote this down when I was doing my notes is that they don't want to make the same mistakes, you know, because they had, you know, their kid young, very young. And, um, and Lisa's character fell in love with a guy who was, you know, was a gang member. And she, her, she had parents that, you know, sent her to Catholic school, so she was dealing with different things. And then she stayed committed to him while he was in prison. And so I was like, wow, not make the same mistakes. And I like when people, sometimes you do things, but you want to keep continuing. You want to break the cycle. So that's what that represented for me. Hmm. You talked last night at the premiere about you have a 15-year-old boy. Yeah. Yeah. Have you given him the talk? Yeah, I gave it to him very early on. And, um, and, you know, that was about, like, 12, like, 10, 11 years old. I'm overprotective, so I started a little late. Also, um, I mean, we live in Los Angeles, you know. I live you know, Beachwood Canyon, so, like, he's protected, you know, but now he's at that age when he's going out, and he's got friends, so that was that concern, but that talk Very came again. Oh, man. there, he would love that, Regina. <laughs> He'll love that. <laughs> um, what would you, you say? You know, my whole thing is, hey, you have to, when I was, I talked about myself, like, when, my, when I went out in high school, in, in, in junior high, he says, Grandpa told me this and that. You know, how to talk. There's some police officers going to look at you a different way just because of the color of your skin. And I know you don't understand these things. I know you're a nice guy. You see good in everybody. You think nothing bad is going to happen to you, but something will. So this is how you're going to act. This is why these things happen, and this is what happened in the past. That was my, you know, my talk to him. But then that came again with just this movie because he saw the movie for the first time four months ago. And he saw it in the audience, like Baldwin Hills, Los Angeles preview audience, when they're actually talking to the screen and they're saying things. So he's understanding this. So this is how I came back again as a 15-year-old. And so this movie was almost bringing this all back so to So does me. he have that, that necessary fear of the police yet, or he still doesn't get it all the way? I think he's starting to get it right now. You know what I mean? Because he has things that I don't, I didn't have. You know what I mean? So I mean, I'm working in Hollywood. So there's things. My father worked in Amer American Motors. You know, only made a certain amount of money a year. I was the first Tillman to go to college. So there's some things. I was in the inner city. You know, as a working class family. So my son now, I'm in Hollywood. I'm a director. So he has different things. But the color of your skin doesn't change. Right. That's what I'm trying to get him to realize. Right. You know? One of the big things in this piece too is. Um, you can have white allies but and friends, but they may not, they usually don't understand what's really going on when we get into black trauma, and they cannot be 
friends and allies there. They cannot help you and support you when you get to that space. Um, and it's really heartbreaking. Like, I mean, you know, the main character loses her friend over these issues because her friend is insensitive and doesn't even fully realize she's being insensitive. Yeah, that's a tough thing. You know, you it's you you have certain experiences that, you know, you know, you you see uh, Haley watch from afar, but the truth is her life, her privilege doesn't even allow her no. to grasp that the you're different uh, um, idea theme. It doesn't that doesn't resonate when you walk the streets black, when you when you live life and you're a black person. And I grew up in DC, which is a little different. I mean, I did go to a predominantly white school, but I was I was um, in a predominantly black city because it's pre-gentrified DC. So I, so the images I saw were still like amazing black people and great jobs, but still really we had a really bad drug problem in um, Washington um, DC. And I went to school with white kids who would be like, "Oh, you're different," you know. But you know, you're really not. You know what I mean? You just have, you've just learned to kind of survive in different settings, and you're just more exposed. You have parents that are more involved, you know, but you're still a working class black person, you know what I mean, with brothers and sisters. And I think it's a it's very hard for it's very hard for them to understand and it's it, it's a it's an it's a it's a it separates you because when you as the black person realizes they just don't get it, yeah. you know, that it's that's a very hard relationship to continue. I have a friend who um we were talking about something, one of the shootings or some racial incident, and uh, and uh, uh, and he said, "Well, you're biased," and I'm like, "Well, so I have bias because I'm black, but you don't have bias because you're white, right?" right. And like, right, way over the head. Didn't didn't understand. And this is a white person who's married to a black person, right? So there's love, but still. Like, you, you know, in a lot of ways, they don't understand that they have race, right? Because they're normative, right? And we're the difference, right? So we have the bias. But the, yeah. And it, 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 it was one of those moments that kind of blew my mind of like... I worked with this white producer who was really, it was, he, he said something really, like, profound. He has, he's married to a black woman and he has a son that's black and his friend was over and his friend is black. And his, son, the son's, his son and their son, they were climbing fences. And so he was like, you can't just let him. It was like his, his black son or, you know, biracial son and then some white kids climbing fences. And the black friend said, you can't let him climb fences like that. You don't want him jumping in the wrong yard. And he was like, what do you mean? I climbed fences when I was a little boy. And he was like, you got a black son that looks black. And so the, the white guy was like, for the first time I was enraged that my son couldn't be entitled to the same privileges that I got, mm -hmm. that, that he can't climb, that I have to be conscious. And he's like, I don't even know how to sit down and tell my son that he can't do things that, I, that are so normal to my being. He's like, how do, I, how do I talk to my son and say, okay, you can, you can have the world, but you can't do that when I do it and when I did it. And it was really interesting because mm -hmm. he hadn't, he was like, I hadn't even considered it. It, it didn't cross my mind. My son gets to do whatever. Mm -hmm. right. You know. Mm -hmm. right. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, 
Let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Um, I definitely see some white parents with black children and I'm like, do you need any help, any advice? Can I, can I tell you anything? You know, because there's some things you may not know. When they're little, little, it's like hair issues and they're like, yeah. welcome, like, please tell me. When you get a little older and they're like, no, we're good. Like, no, you're not. You're not giving them the talk. You're not telling them this. Um, but at the same time, I think about Barack Obama with a white mother telling him, you can do anything, right? When a black parent might be saying, you can do anything, but you can't be president of America because America's racist. Like, well, you're right, sister, but because he had this white woman tell him, you can really do anything with that sense of white entitlement. We really can do anything. And he then believed it, right? Which we don't always, we're not always able to give to our kids. Yes, yes, exactly. You know, so interesting that you were saying that when you were just talking about that. I remember when I first, like in 98, you know, got in the game, and I went to visit this president, and we went in his office, and you know, you make jokes studio like, president. Mr. studio president, you go in his office, and 
they be walking around. He comes back in the office because I'm there. You know, it's African American. He's just like, hey, who stole my DVDs? You know, it's like, <laughs> like, you know, and then it's like later on, same guy, same guy. You know, my wife, her name is Marcia Tillman. And he's like, yeah, I just met your wife, you know. And we said the name twice, Marcia, you know. But he said it, um, he's just talking. He says, yeah, I met your wife, Mercedes. And I was like, <laughs> I said, Marcia, what are you talking Hi, about? Mercedes. <laughs> Mercedes. So, you know, as code switching and how do you, you know, at that time, you just let it go. Because you in the business, you know, yeah. you don't want to be make them feel uncomfortable. Right. You know well, this, I mean? well, this goes back to the beginning, the first question, right, of the, how do you get a film like this made? How do you get lots of films made? I remember Reggie Hudlin told me they were trying to make, um, what's a Charles Johnson novel about the, the Middle Passage? Okay. And the, and the executive said, so why do the slaves want to be free? <laughs> and right, then he remarked to me, like, what are you talking about? Do we have to tell you the motivation? For this? But that's what we're dealing with, right? That's and we're trying to make a slave picture while they're saying, why do they want to free? You are trying to make, like, an honest black picture, and they're yeah. like, yeah, but, yeah. like, how, how, do we, how do we deal with that? You know what? It's like, you know, compared to, like, five, six years ago, it, it, it was tough, man. That's why you see certain guys doing the same thing. They're doing the same thing. Or you're seeing guys doing things completely different, or they're not around because they refuse to do these different kind of projects. So um, it's a game, you know what I mean? It's just like pushing. Well, what are the compromises you have to make in that game? Well, you know, like early compromise, let me just use, for example, um, for this film, you know, early on, it's like, and it could have been some truth to it. I, you know, like the book had a lot of gangs, you know, the gang king. And the studio just early on was like, hey, maybe not use as much of the gang element because we've seen it so much and it's not going to be a fresh. And I was like, cool, you know what, I use what we can, what we think we need to get by. Maybe that was a good point, you know, but early on it will always be outrageous casting ideas, you know, that you know just ain't right, like Men of Honor, you know, like just certain things that just, it ain't going to work. You know, I'm dying to ask you. Know, oh yeah, we won't go there. We won't go there. But but you know, it's just it's just that, or you doing it really fast, really quick, and cheaply, mm. and then end up making a lot of money. You know what I mean? And then they they see things a little different. So um, I have to say, I think things are slightly changing now. You know, thanks to films that have came out this year that has been successful. There's more African-American showrunners. There's more African-American women directing and a lot of new voices. We on TV now. And now they say we hot. I don't know what it is. I, you know? I, I think that this is perhaps the most extraordinary moment in black visual culture, mm -hmm. right? A year where we have Black Panther, this film, uh, you know, Spike came back, Steve McQueen is back, Barry Jenkins is back again, mm -hmm. you know, Boots Riley, mm -hmm. um, you know, lots of, you know, to say nothing of all the folks on television from Cheo Coker to Issa Rae to all the things happening at OWN and all of Shondaland. I mean, like, it's an extraordinary moment. To my new show, Black Monday, which I would like everyone to watch on Showtime. <laughs> there, and, well, there you go. There you go. More and more. Well, more. it's not my show. Sorry, let me correct that. Uh, to the new Don Cheadle show <laughs> that I'm on with Don Cheadle. That's what's up. But <laughs> well, why is there so much success right now for all these black visual products in Hollywood and on television as well? I mean, I think... You know, I think Hollywood likes to make money. <laughs> Black Panther does well. They're like, oh, people want to see Black Panther. And movies do well. 
If there's an audience, like he said, he talked about that book, and he's mm -hmm. like, wait, there's a big I mean, we've audience. been here. You, for one, <laughs> have been tapping that audience with Girls Trip and other big films, and it seems like... I think as it gets bigger and bigger and the audience gets wider than just, you know, black, and you've got, and it crosses over to some degree, and you're like, oh, we can get a lot of young white kids. We can get Latino kids. I think it, then you can make bigger budgets, because you can't, you know, you can do a black romantic comedy for, what, 10 million? Mm -hmm. But you can't do, you can't, you can't do Hate You Give, like, for, <laughs> right. with 10 million. So it's got to, you've got to see where some of that, I mean, I'm assuming that it seems like it's connected to all the success. Yeah, all the success. And you know, the, the success, and especially, I, I really think, too, television had a lot to do with mm -hmm. it over the last, Scandal. like, five-year scandal. Yeah. With you think the success in television, television motivated the Hollywood? I think so. The reason why is because the writers on television are so good, and some of them are moving over to features. You know, like uh, Tina Mabry, who did a draft for us. She was off. She came from television. <clears throat> and because of the success, like Atlanta and all these creative yeah. shows, it created more talent pool. And then that success created all these billboards and commercials, so you're seeing more African-American, infusing that with the music scene and how that is connecting oh, to music. the white yeah. young kids. It crossed over in a film. It just takes a little longer to do films. Sure. But I think with all that success, little did I, we all knew that all these films were gonna be happening at the same time. I knew Black Panther was happening. Sure. You can't ignore that. But I didn't know all these other movies. Is there know? a movie that you can look back on in the last two, three, four years that you're like, the success of that led to folks saying, let's greenlight more and see what m more audience we can get out of this? You know, they had stopped making black movies for a while. Do you remember yeah. that? And I remember it was Clint, Will Packer and Clint called, but Clint, Clint, when he did Think Like a Man, and not I me, mean, not because I was in it, but I just remember when it made 34 million, another student, that's, that's when Universal greenlit Best Man Holiday. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are different because those are romantic comedies, but I remember them being like, oh, it made more, I just remember them thinking, oh, it made more money than they thought. And then comedies, like then Kevin, I don't know, it just felt like then, it was like, oh, these can make a lot of money. I just remember the money being talked about it's been in the always audience. Because I remember like years ago, Waiting Next Hell got soul food going. Yes. And I think this movie, because, you know, 12 Years a Slave came out of Fox Searchlight under mm -hmm. the Fox family. That mm -hmm. won the Oscar. Mm -hmm. So I think that idea was like, wow, okay, maybe they hate you give. And, um, but it, it is all based on other successes for them to feel comfortable. Right. But we always been here, and everybody's been great, you right. know, for a long time. So um, thank God now I feel, I feel blessed to be in this time because I do, I do agree with you that this is a very important time. And it just happened by chance. It's not like we came to get let's, It just happened by chance. Sure. You know? mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think partly, at least in television, the expand, expansion of the playing field, OWN doing what it's doing, yeah. FX opening up, uh, Netflix obviously opens up the playing field another 100 yards, what have you. Mm -hmm. So there's more space, right? And Shonda's just ripping up ABC. I'll just take more and more of this here, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so, the, but I don't, I don't know, like you, you talk about some of the tent poles in the movie world, but barbershop was, a tent pole. Yes, was it barbershop it was, was one of the things that led them to say, oh. I just remember, I don't, I mean, at that point, you know, I was just an actor for hire. I can't say that I was looking. I just remember they made a lot of money. <laughs> I just remember always being like, oh, that did really well. I remember going to see it. I remember us talking about it. I, I can only think in, you know, of me and my friends, like what we would go see, but. 
it's, it's kind of like they use one movie and then they'll make a bunch of those. Yeah. You know right, what I yeah. mean? What I think is great now is there are different kinds that we're seeing. Like yeah. it's not, right. it doesn't have to be one of the same kind of movie. And that right? was one of the first times too where, you know, I learned, I learned a va valuable lesson on that movie, on that franchise. Because I remember the first movie, they, we had a certain budget and it was like, you know, we can't, can't make the budget, we can't do it for this. So they came to us and said, well, put your own money in, you know? And I was like, I ain't putting my own, put your own money back in, you can receive it on the back end. I was like, I'm not, you know? And then I was like, well, okay, well, well, let's do it. And that movie, I actually saw more than I ever did because I put, I invested in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that was just a collective from the producers, the director, you know what I mean? And Cube was doing it anyway from Friday. You know, he actually, I think, yeah. I, I, he owned the negative. So, so there's some things that you- And look at Straight Outta Compton, the numbers that did too. Yeah. Yeah, <coughs> so it's a, that's a valuable lesson of of all financially that could be made in this industry as as artists that still figuring it out, you know. So did you get a fair budget on this one? Um, this one was I have to say for what what a drama they they did a really great job for us. You know, it was still we got to move quick fast, but I mean the movie is two hours. You don't feel it. The movie is two hours and twelve minutes, and my first cut was two hours and fifteen minutes. I always knew it was going to be big, a big canvas, but you won't feel slow. You'll feel like you're in the moment. And they were really behind it. You know, we had a little incident. We had to reshoot uh, one of the characters in the movie, and they put money right back into the movie. We replaced an actor, you know, uh, one of our white actors, you know, who played the, the Chris character. Um, and um, because of that, we put money back in and went back out again. And that's a really support for something that really happened. Why'd you have to replace him? Um, it was something that discovered six years ago, something he said about race um, that popped up on the YouTube. We in that kind of, we in this generation right now, we wasn't aware of it. And it's something that that white actor did very young in his life. Um, but we felt collectively, we, we should have replaced him and we ended up getting somebody, you know, who was not available the first time. You wanted to replace him. Yeah, you we, didn't. me and Manila, and talked to all the actors, but the studio, more than anybody, you know. They wanted to replace Yeah, they don't want to have any cloud yeah, over they, this. Yeah, they did the right thing. Now, this is, this imagine 10 years ago, that wouldn't have happened. Go ahead, right. put it out, you know. Right. They, were, they were behind it. And um, so just to do that, the reason I bring that up is because of the support. It took more money to go back in just to do that, and we had that support because we felt like that was the message of the movie. So to reshoot all of his scenes, so is that why he's not really part of the prom scene? Um, yeah, he's there, Chris there. A, a little bit, yeah, a little yeah, bit, yeah. but Long most of the prom scene, he's in the car alone. Yeah, we, I felt like that's one of the true things I try to do as a director. That's cliches you got in high school movies. Yes, you gotta have the limousine moment. You gotta have the prom, we see those things, you know? <laughs> Yeah, you don't even miss not being inside. No, the no you, don't. Yeah. you don't. You don't. So, uh, Amanda's 18 making this? Mm hmm. I mean, incredibly young to carry a whole movie. I, I, I mean, did you feel like, oh, this is a young actor who's coming up, or do you feel like she's really got it? And she's like, you know, well, standing you know, Mandela, it grand, oh, I mean, granted, she's very young. She's been doing it a very long time. Yeah. And so she approaches it like a full professional. I mean, Amanda's doing her homework. She's reading. She's prepared. I mean, she is like, you know, whatever her number is, she is, her work ethic is that of an, an adult. And so, you know, she just was present and dropped in. It wasn't, you know, I don't even remember thinking like toe-to-toe. -to -toe. I just remember being like, she was so emotionally present, so committed, um, such a beautiful, you know, 
she, like where she tapped into being vulnerable and she and George had worked together far and I will say this George was wonderful in that I don't know what a fight it was but mm -hmm. Fox was also wonderful they gave us rehearsal time so he created a lot of time and space for us before we got on camera to, he had events planned, like we had dinner, <laughs> you know, a day, like as a family to go like to like a big arcade thing. So how long was the rehearsal time? We had like two weeks. Two weeks, yep. You know, so that we... Built so, camaraderie. Yeah, and just sitting with him and rehearsing, going into our workspaces so that it was no excuse for no one, you know, for anyone to not be prepared, you know, like, does this feel right? Would this, you know, like, very um, collaborative in wanting us to, in like, you know, say this, say this, like he, and that, like for an, an actor, that's tremendous, so that by the time we come to set, we're not guessing. Mm -hmm. You know, he's talked to us about scenes. We know the vision of the film, of him as a director. He's aware that like, even though it's not like we have we have a lot to do in a certain amount of time. We have what we need to do it if we are prepared to do it. Right, right. But then they gave us that time to literally prepare to do it, and that makes a big difference. I mean, it's a very emotional film. There's moments of great joy, right? There's moments of trepidation. There's moments of trauma and anxiety. She's got to do lots of different emotions on the register. Um, were you at all nervous about putting so much of your work and everything on the shoulders of such a young person? No, I felt like um, like last night actually at the premiere, I said I felt like everything I'd done was like getting me ready for this movie. Cause you know, like Sofu had a kid protagonist and I did this small film called The Inevitable Defeat of Mr. and Pete, it was like two young kids left alone and like in Brooklyn over a hot summer. And they were like 12 and eight. So I was sort of ready, waiting, you know, working with kids. It's hard working with kids. Yeah, it is. Thank <laughs> God she was 18 because we can use her the whole 12 hours. Um, so, but she was very committed. Um, a lot of that is, I, I feel like, I always feel like when a film is, doesn't work, you blame, my wife always told me this, you blame the director because the director, Ilian Gazan says that, you know, if the film don't work, blame the director because he could have stood on the table and jumped up and down and shouted and made things differently. So I feel like it was my goal to make sure she had the comfortable, necessary tools to be ready in every scene, especially as someone who's 18 years old. She had the dedication, she had the work, mainly was just really the rehearsals and making sure each beat is different, each emotion is different, we up and down. Like, you know, this, there's a scene where she wakes up the next morning after the shooting and the table, the family's sitting around the table and how do this family console their young member? And that moment is very, you can take it as a very sad moment, but the dad remind her why he named her star and then Sakani comes in and picks up the bacon and it just breaks the silence, you know. And again, that just throws the film, it throws the audience off because we as human beings go through different emotions. Um, so it was my job to make sure that is there, but she's the one to have to actually do it. And she had the commitment and she had the relationship with everybody. These guys were like real parents. I felt like you guys were like really a family, you yeah. know? No, we felt like one. You know, when we were on set, it would just, it would really, it's like whatever roles we had, we felt like it. So, you know, we're cheering for each other. We're cheering, you know, like whatever they need to get through it or we need, like I'm, you know, basically there to serve this film serve this story yeah. you know this message and you know so it was it was, it was actually it was wonderful we laughed a lot we too. laughed a lot yeah. what does eating healthy mean to you 
Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, black people, even though it's a difficult... Listen, black people have been... I mean, we were finding joy in slavery. I mean, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? We, if we stayed down all the time, we couldn't survive. Right. You know, we... I mean, they laughed on good times. Like, you, you can't have... You can't have... You couldn't be in the space... The space that we could be in with what we face, if we lived in that space, we couldn't survive. Right. That's right. I want to take a pause for a second to give a shout out to longtime supporters of the show, Policy Genius, who want you to know that there is an easy way to get life insurance, the sort of thing that will help you take care of your family after you're gone. In just two minutes, you can compare quotes from your top insurers and find the best policy for you. And when you're comparing quotes, you're saving money. Four million people have gotten insurance via Policy Genius to make sure the family that they're taking care of while they're alive, they can take care of, God forbid, something happens to them and they're no longer here. They don't just make life insurance easy at Policy Genius. They compare disability insurance, renter's insurance, health insurance. If you care about it, they can cover it. Go to policygenius.com, get quotes, apply in minutes, do the whole thing on your phone. Policy Genius is the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Talk about directors yelling and screaming or jumping up and down or whatever. So between takes, how is George coaching you and the other actors? What is the approach when he comes over, right? You know, George is great, honestly. I have to say, what what I love about George is, like, you're about to do the scene, and he goes, so... But just see, he comes over. Remember what just happened? You just lost your daughter. You just said this is going on such and such. All right. I mean, he's telling you because as an actor, you can, you know, we're not. It's not linear, you know. So right. we're shooting this scene and that scene. So what he's doing is feeding you. This is where you are right now today. I know we just shot another scene where we're at breakfast and happy or whatever, but this is where we are right now. And he's telling you such and such. You have no mother. You have whatever, whatever. Mav could leave. This is everything that's at stake. And then action. And. It's so amazing because it gets you 
in your space because you know in between scenes sometimes if it's not a heavy heavy scene you're talking mm -hmm. you know you're waiting for lighting to get set up you're in the room you're talking and and you're not necessarily you're like you're taking a break from that scene because you've just gone through that so George is like let me tell let me remind you where you are so it's it's always gentle it's always honest but most importantly I can all I've worked with some directors where I don't understand the direction Give me an example of like something that's not a name, but something somebody said to you that you're like, I don't know what he's talking about. You know, maybe if they're like, I don't know, I just think you're thinking like, wow, and you know, I want to know what that feels like, where I don't know what he's saying at all. <laughs> like, what do you want? From yeah, me? as opposed to just saying, you know what? And I can't, it's like, it's just there's certain directors when they talk to you, you know what that direction is and it just can shift your performance ever so slightly. And it's an adjustment. It's not a line read. They're just telling you emotionally where it is so that it can come out of you. And some directors don't know how to do that. And so it's very hard to give the performance that you may even want to give when you don't, you don't know. And they see a lot more of a story, you know. It may be like, well, you, I need you to have a little bit of levity here because if not, this scene won't work. So you got to trust that you have, because the director has the entire vision. Right. You're thinking of your character, but, and you know what you have to do. But the director has an entire vision. Even I'm assuming that when you're directing, you're even mm -hmm. thinking of how it's going to edit, what mm -hmm. the choices you might need. So when they come in and it's like just a gentle, it's kind of like guiding a horse. That's horrible. Yeah. It's a, it's a prod. It's it's not a. Well, I don't want you to be the horse in this analogy. I was the horse. So, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the horse, but it's a great thing. But yeah. what do you? What, yeah. What are you saying? Because you know you're gonna yeah. do it like three, four, five times usually, right? Three, four, five takes. I like so. to do. A, I mean, I like to do a lot of takes, not crazy. I only like to do it is for choices. Like? I don't know. I'm usually about four. Five, you know, not mu not much. That's, that's, that's not an unusual. And usually, I do like. No. I, sometimes I keep the camera roll. I can give. I can sneak five or six in one because I keep the camera roll and do it again. And come back, go back. You can sneak. It becomes crazy for the editors because it'd be like take one got ten takes in it, but mm -hmm. you know you're trying to figure it out. But 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 the rehearsals is so great because I remember a moment too. Like when you rehearse and you talk about it, then. It's the director's job to put that in behavior. That's where some directors get caught up. They go for the result. Like, I want you to be emotional here. But it's all about how to get there, right? So, but one thing is with rehearsal, you trust your actors. Because I remember this one scene where after the family leaves the soul food restaurant, after the father gets taken down by the cops, which mm. is a beautiful scene. Right in front of a very powerful. Right in front of a powerful scene. And then they go home, and the man says, I should have stayed quiet. And um, Maverick says, everybody get on the lawn. So what I always try to do, we did rehearse that scene, but we wasn't really, we, it's like, let's keep it open to see what happens when we're there. And I just sometimes block, I don't say anything, even though I have my ideas. I remember when we blocked it, Regina actually, you allowed the three kids to line up, and you allowed Mav to stay in front of them, and you stayed on the side. And that was your choice by yourself. And I was just like blown away, because I was like, oh, okay, she stayed there. In my mind, early on, like maybe I can move her a little closer, to get her in the shot, or but she stayed there. But I, I knew right away because we were so in sync. She's staying there because she, she's allowing the head, the father. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean. And even in one of the takes, you actually is whispering some of the words he is yeah, saying. She's mouthing it. Mm -hmm. You know, what I mean. So those are the instincts when you are rehearsed and everybody know where they are and you trust all the teams there. And that's what a good relationship, talking about the relationship of Mav and Lisa, that's a good relationship, allowing the man to be the man. And as soon as he walked away, you there, who you go next to? She immediately you comes to, to Sakani. Right. 
You know what I mean? Instinctively. Right. To nurture. Yeah. Some people would have went right to Stark and she, no, she went right. That's Baby. being in the character, you know? Mm. Um, man, Regina, you have really made it in Hollywood. I mean, you have had a long career. You've had a fantastic career. You've made so many movies that so many people made, went to see. How have you done that? How have you created this long career with Think Like a Man, Girls Trip, Scary Movie, now The Hate You Give? I mean, how, how, have you, how do you do it? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. You know, I'm very grateful to have done it. Um, I, you don't know this, but um, I used to be an intern at MTV when I was getting my master's oh, really? Really? Yeah, in journalism, and Teray worked there. Oh, really? oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we yeah. did. So you could have been over here. Yeah, I could have been over there. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but I just think it's, you know, I've just, I've just been fortunate. Sometimes it's just, when you say sometimes it's just the luck of the, mm -hmm. it's. Um, okay, yeah. But you can't control luck. What did you yeah. do? that well, you can control. Well, after I do remember after being doing Best Man, I was like, all right, so I did Best Man, that's great. I'm not going to do a stripper, be a stripper again. And then I remember after Scary Movie, I was like, okay, I can't. I won't do broad again. I could do a million broad in that character. So I always would try to change up what I did if if the opportunity and I would take good roles if they were small, even if they weren't the lead. Like, it wasn't about, like, oh, I need to be the lead. Like, if I just got a chance to work with people I could learn from, I'd be like, Dak, that's a great director. I'd like to work with them. That's a great, you know, artist, performer, actor. I'd like, you know, it's a great, that's great material. You know, so nothing was, like, too big or too small. It wasn't about, you know, like, shining. Where could I learn? Where could I get better? You know, and where could I keep growing, you know? Where could I stretch? What could be scary? You know what I mean? And it's hard, because when you do something like a comedy, like Scary Movie, you have to fight to do the next thing. So then after Scary Movie, my people don't know it, but my immediate next movie was Paid in Full, which wasn't um, a big movie at that time, but it became like a cult classic. But it was still a drama, so it was still something different. And sometimes maybe an audience doesn't see something, but a director will. You know what I mean? And you want a director to see and go, oh, I saw it. And it's like, it's little things in their subconscious. And eventually, you know, you, you may audition, you may not get some, but, you know, they may remember. Because you just, you know, you want to work. You just, you know, you always want to do, you know, good work. It's, it's, a, it's, it's horrible to work, but it's the most wonderful thing ever. It's horrible <clears throat> to work. I mean, it's a lot of pressure. You get the job, and then you have to do the job. Yeah. You know, so you have to show up. Like, you can't have, like, George, like, fighting for you to get a job, and then you just... So it, there's a pressure. It's self-imposed. It doesn't come from them. It's self-imposed to be like, someone believed in me. I have to... I want to serve... I want to serve the story and serve the trust. You can't... You know, you can't take that for granted, because they're... You know, even before I say yes to this movie... There's a woman that's been however long she took writing it. Then there's a man that took how, however long he took, and producers, to you know, partners to fight to get the script and get it made. Then he's got to make the script and write it. Then George is over there with storyboards, and then there's a studio putting money. And so whatever your part is in that, whether it's an actor or DP, you can't just take that for granted. And then there's an audience that has to see it. And then yeah. that, your kids have to see it. So you have to take every job, even if it's, a comedy, you have to show up because there's people's time, money, energy. There, it's an it's an investment. So there's young actors listening who admire your career and your longevity and your breadth that you can do a comedy, you can do something more serious, you do whatever you want. 
Um, what is the advice to them, folks who want to come up and have a lasting career like you've had? I just I think you have to really care m more about your career than the fame. You know, I think sometimes people really get caught up in like pictures and being famous and being hot. You know, like being like the you know what I mean. I'm, you know, maybe you may not be hot, but you you'll you'll be working and and like <clears throat> you know I always I'm, I had a, a teacher who used to always say slow and steady wins the race. You know, you don't you don't always have to be the lead if you've been the lead in a movie. It doesn't mean you can't show up to support somebody that's amazing. You know what I mean? You don't. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. It, it's not like you're here to service a character or a story, not like yourself or your ego. And if you want to say no to it, you can say no, but then don't say yes. And then now you're mad because you're like, well, I thought. You know what I mean? So it's more. You have to think about the work and not the. Um, you know, we live in a social media time. Yeah. So a lot of people are. They think about the um, interview, you know what I mean, the stuff from mm -hmm. fame, but I think it's, you know, you have to really think about the work. George, what is, the, when you look at someone like Regina, who's had a lasting career, broad and varied, what would you tell the actors who are listening who want to be, have a career like Regina's? Well, I just felt like the key, I don't know, just for me as a, like a director, just watching her work is just like, it was just amazing how, because a lot of people can't do many different things. A lot of people just do one, she does many different things. I knew that firsthand because she auditioned for me. So we had a work session, you know, and then you can always tell when you're directing and when you're walking up on somebody and you can feel the creative energy. And that energy sometimes is telling you to, like, she got it or, like, don't have to say much. You can just feel that force. And I was feeling that because that, that, that work session was, it was about, we did, like, two or three different takes on, like, something, and it was just different versions, different ways. And it was the communication and the creati creativity was just right, was perfect. So to have that, that comes from working a lot. That's from being talented. That's from being versatile, being able to take execution and take notes very quickly and just and give ideas. Because all, all the directors, so most of the time, we we taking the cue from the actor because they coming up with the choices a lot. So um, that comes from just work, study and being ready. Um, it ain't gonna happen overnight for a lot of actors, you know, it ain't gonna happen overnight for a lot of directors. So it takes time and her work says it all, the variety of difference. So that's what I was attracted to when I worked with her in that session and I always remember that because it was inspiring to me, you know? I didn't get it. But the person who did get it was actually perfect and amazing. So even his eye to know. No, she was great. That's the, that's the worst part of it is she was great. She probably was, she was actually better for the role than I would have been. And I, and as soon as I saw her, I was like, oh, I get it. And she's a wonderful actress. And, you know, it's not about being, you know, maybe better or worse, but it is about being right. So, you, you know, and she was definitely right for the part. But at least when you show up, you know, like I said, it's not about always just booking it. You gotta. But it's interesting you have that much humility to see she is a better fit for that. Yeah, no, she's, she is incredibly talented. And still maintain all the confidence in yourself. Like, I mean, do you think you're a great actor? Um. Wow. <laughs> really? Well, there's so much room. You know, you, you work with people and you see people do, I don't, you know, I don't know that you, no, you have, you know, I guess you're she's always a, great, a work in progress. Actress. I mean, I think you're a great actor. I think you command the screen, mm -hmm. serve the characters, right? When you talk about putting ego 
uh, aside. I feel like you do that. I feel like it's a different person each time. Not like it's always, Gene's always playing the same thing. But I sense like you don't have the confidence that you perhaps could. Um, it's not that I'm not confident. It's just, it's, it's just, it's not that, it's not confidence. It's just, um, you always want to improve, you know what I mean? So if you're like, oh, I'm great, you know, there's no room. So you, you just, there's always room. You want to get better. There's what do you want to do better as an actress? I don't, I mean, it's not even like what you want to do better. It's, it, it's just, there's a, you all, every time you do it, I would say this for as a director, you know, you, it's intuitive. It has to drop in. You always want to be as dropped in. There's a trust that you have to have. And, that continues to grow and, and shift, and you just, you know, your role, it's different every time, so you just wanna, you know, I don't know, as an actor, I always see things on a screen that maybe you won't see, that I'll be like, oh, there's a beat. Ah, oh, there's a different way I could've played that beat, or oh, did I miss a beat, mm -hmm. or did I, you know, a director does it too. All the time. It's just like your mind is always thinking, so it doesn't, like when you yell cut, you know, you you know, I may want to go to George and be like, George, I could have done that better. Well, I mean, and you know, I read the stuff I wrote. Yeah, two years ago, I'm that's like, what oh, I. That could have been better. That's what I mean. So you go and you look and you go. So it's always you're always trying. You're always then there's always stuff to learn. Yeah. There's always there's always you know, things to learn. Every time I where I work with someone, I look and I go, well, I learned. I learned so much from George. Like so his process. Like I'm like, dang, I hadn't thought of it that way. Oh, that's great. You know, I look at. Russell, I can look at Amanda, you know, I can look at Sakani and, and that kind of raw openness that he mm -hmm. had, you mm -hmm. know. Isn't he cute? Um, what's the difference between being a good director and being a great director? <clears throat> no, I think um, st still figuring that out, you know, I just think details, it's details. You got to put in the time, you know, from down to small things, music and, you know, c costume, you know, script, story. You know, knowing the story, that's the key, too, is when is the act breaks, when is the inciting incident, where the plot points come in, how do A, B, C plot, you know, who's the point of view in the scene. Sometimes when you see a, you know, a scene and it's just not quite working, it's because sometimes the director don't have a point of view in the scene. Who's the point of view? What is the scene saying, you know? Sometimes I used to do that early on. I think I did it the first three days where everybody was so... So well there, I said, this scene is about this. Mm -hmm. Remember yeah, I used to say that? Yeah. And then I stopped doing it because everybody was so in tune, you know what I mean? Because we were so connected and stuff. So I do but, that for my... But because you did it, it's yeah. like he set it all up for us. George had an envelope. When we met, George was like, bam, bam, bam. I mean, he was prepared. What was in the envelopes? Oh, it was about our... It was an um, folder. It was yeah. our characters. It was like arcs. This is your history. This is what you've been through. This is Lisa. This is... I mean, he just... For all of us. Yeah. So you wrote the, you created the backstory for their character. No, I only gave it yeah. just to say, yeah. I, I give it to them and say, hey, this is my notes, my personal yeah. notes. You take whatever you need. There's a lot of liberty. It wasn't like he was like this. It was just, you know, we had a book, we had a script. It was, so it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. It for was, example, like Haley, like when I gave it hers, you know, my idea with back, background and, you know, and her objectives, and that's, you can do whatever you want. But I had a history of why certain as African-Americans, how we take white individuals who may say wrong things or talk about racism or systematic racism or how do we gather things from the media. I gave her that information because I felt her as a white actress may not have thought about what her arc would be after Star tells her that stuff. Because some of them are unaware. So I created all this research and had all that for her. And when she came back, she's like, oh, wow, I never 
never thought about that. So she knew where she was going to go. Right. Because, you know, where's that line coming from? Like, all, all lives matter when she watched television. See, she didn't really have that connection that the TV is going to be the way it is. That's where she get her concepts from, you mm. know, or her parents. That's where she got that concept from. We started talking about Regina's, and I want to return to this, Regina's confidence in yourself. What about you? Do you, do you, can you, do you wake up and you're like, I can do this, or do you have doubt that you have to deal with to get back on the horse? Or Yeah, it's always, um, there's always doubt, man, because... Um, I don't know, as an artist, you always think something's going to go wrong. You think you're going to make the wrong choice mm-hmm. and mistake. Because, you know, there's so much money involved in terms of how many people are involved. You know what I mean? And you don't, you, you're not going to, sometimes if you mess up, you're not going to go back. It's not like you can redo a scene sometimes. You know, some people have the different luxury. I was actually, we were shooting the movie um, in Atlanta. It was, we were shooting nights, and we were driving down the street, and I saw another director, a white d- director, right? And I saw somebody from my crew working on that set, right? And I said, hey, what are you doing? You working on our set, too? He's like, yeah, I'm working both. I said, what are you guys shooting? Well, we're shooting a scene today, but the director don't know if it should be night or day. So we're going to shoot today, and then we'll come back tonight and shoot the same scene, and then he's going to choose which version he's going to do. And I was like, are you serious? Is that what those white directors are doing? <laughs> I only shoot my scenes once. You know, <laughs> so those are the, so we, we came, it's, we don't have the time. You have to be ready. It's, so it's always a doubt. There's always the things that might make a mistake. But you keep pushing. It's something about if you just keep pushing, yeah, Regina, right? Yeah, you just, yeah, yeah. It's on, once it's on, you just got to get up. It's on, you got to do it. So you just, you just start figuring, you know, it, I don't know. And you do, you just keep. Well, you wake up in the morning and you feel like, I can do it, or you have to like erect the confidence. I'm not even thinking about that. I'm more thinking about the character. So when I wake up, like it's not can I do it. It's like where am I? Okay, so today we got to shoot this. You know, so where am I emotionally? Like at that point, it's just we've started. Like you know what I mean. And if it's a, a heavy day, I'm like, let me like let me just think of everything that needs to be in place for me emotionally to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean. You don't, you don't have any choice at that point. Like yeah. George sitting there at the thing. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you, yeah. You, you just, it's, it's just going down. And you you're just going to do it. You yes. just see, I mean, it's just, it could be the littlest thing. Yeah. I mean, like the church scene, <laughs> Aisha in the back. And Aisha, you see her saying, yeah. seven, seven. <laughs> She's yelling. And then you make the choice. Just this very simple thing. How many people are going to look back at her? Okay, I say, maybe you have 20. You look... You know, just rehearse. Twenty people look back. I like that's too silly. <laughs> you know, just a choice. Just that little small thing yeah. can make things feel real, over the top, or don't work. Yes. Yeah. So you know, if you really cared, and I think Regina really cares, and everybody on our movie really did, you agonize on these decisions because you want to make the right decisions. Everybody goes through that. You know? I mean, that's so much of what being an artist is: of agonizing over the details and caring so much about the details. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an extraordinary film. Congratulations to both of you. Thank you so much. Thank you for Thank having you us. For I appreciate it. Us. Thank you. Regina. So good to nice see to you, see too. Yeah, nice to see you, too. Thanks to George Tillman and Regina Hall for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. I'm on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Please subscribe, rate, and review, and tell your friends about the show. 
Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Chris Colbert, with help from Jessica Blank, Jason Wallace, Lainey Frost, Candid Nicole, and our photographer, Chuck Marcus. We'll be back next Wednesday with more knowledge from amazing folks, because the man can't shut us down. 